he made a decision at some point in his cycling career that he wants to race in a certain way yeah. and that's how he does it and sometimes yeah. it works and sometimes it doesn't and that's he says I want to race this way as opposed to what's the safest way that guarantees me the best chance of success no I want to race in a way that feels good We are back at Half Wheel and we're absolutely primed and ready to chat all things cycling in a truly Half Wheel and fashion. Here with me is a man who would ride up the murder hoy like it was an absolute speed bump. Scotty Barrow, how are you, mate? Yeah, very good, mate. Really excited. Again, not just bullshitting either because the racing is fast and furious in terms of the scheduling and what's going on in the races is amazing too. So some really good things, I reckon. We were pretty spoiled, weren't we, Scotty, in terms of what the Tour de France brought us. Um, it was an epic three-week race, which it usually is, and we expect that out of it because it's a grand sideshow. But since then, it's delivered in spades, hasn't it, the schedule? Yeah, yeah it's like the cobble sectors at Paris Bay. They just keep coming. It just keeps coming and coming and coming, this schedule. I'm torn between some nights I'm a little bit disappointed that there's no races on, but on the other hand, I get to take a deep breath and I get to set myself <laughs> for the next one. Just check my race schedule and away we go again. Yeah, yeah, just just recover the legs and get back into it later. Scotty, can I take you back to the World Championships in Imola in Italy? Take me there. This, this was a great course, wasn't it? What would you read on the parkours? Oh, it was bloody great. It was great. I mean, yeah, it was great. I reckon the climbs could have been a tiny, a tiny bit flatter if they had the choice just to keep more people in the race for longer. But, mate, it was unreal. And I love the fact they were able to pave the roads. Like, they sealed the roads. Most of the roads on the critical bits were all brand new. So that was a phenomenal effort to do it within a few weeks after being told, can you do it? It's yeah. unreal. The yeah, it was, was brilliant and spectacular to watch. Yeah, wasn't it fantastic? It was a great course, short climbs, but they were pretty brutal, not only in their height and, and the way they were set up, but just their placement and what they forced the riders. I did hear um, Nick Schultz, who rides for Mitchell and Scott, who rode for Australia. Um, mm. He said the TV didn't actually do the climbs justice. Um, mm. They were fucking hard. He, he said he rode a 36.30 and said every lap was hard. Um, yeah. He rode it at least 400 watts every time, which yeah. gives you a bit of an indication of, of how brutal it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. As you know, those well-designed one-day race courses are like that and then the classic races of attrition where people just, just get uh, chopped off the back bit by bit. We had a pretty worthy world champion in the end, Alaphilippe, exploded out on one of the climbs and basically left the others in his dust. They, they had no real response to his attack and then couldn't really um, couldn't really catch him in the end. Although they got within 10 to sort of 15 seconds in that sort of that range, they couldn't actually bring him back, which was, I mean, it would have set it up for an absolutely epic finish if that was the case, but he just hung in there and hung in there, didn't he? Yeah, it's one thing to be able to get to that stage of the race and then um, still be with the better, you know, the better climbers on the last hill and then to be able to punch it, have another gear, you know, and then hold it over the top and then basically hold the, hold the gap through the rolling descent. It's some pretty severe horsepower he's got. I'd like to open a discussion up here. Now, there was, as I mentioned, there was sort of 10 to 15 seconds of a chase group that was behind Alaphilippe. It consisted of Wout Van Aert, Kwiatkowski, Mark Hirschi, 
who else was in there? there oh, Roglic was, was in there. Roglic was in there as well. Couldn't quite get there. But if you're in the chase group and you're aware you have a guy the calibre of Van Aert, who is absolutely in form, there's no question about that, his season's been sensational. Do your work. And I know we saw it on occasions where, and I think I remember pretty clearly, Kwiatkowski rode to the front and then basically took his hands off the bars and said, look, I'm, I'm done. I've got nothing left to give. What's the point of working your ass off and then saying, nah, look, I reckon Van Aert's going to beat me in a sprint? And it's almost resigning yourself to that scenario happening. But who knows what's going to happen? I heard the other day the special riders, the special riders that win big races, they risk losing to come first. Fuck riding for second or third. What about a, a bit yeah. of, in those one-day classics? You've got to have that no guts, no glory mentality, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly if you've been around for a little while and you've won a few races and it's like, well, I don't need to prove myself. Um, I'm not really interested in getting seconds and thirds or fourths or fifths. I want to have a crack here or I'd rather be 25th or 35th. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's also when, when they're, you know, that, that much on the limit and you're that tired, maybe that almost like that self-preservation mindset comes in. You know, it's just a real deep instinctive thing to almost protect yourself so you go a bit more conservative because yeah i personally would be like yeah let's see let's see if we can get it back let's see if we can bring it back which they could have i think at the first half of that chase over the crest of the climb i think they seemed to be going pretty hard although we didn't get a very good camera work you know we couldn't see them the whole time yeah. i think the first half they seemed to be having a good go and then the second half i reckon they gave up so then it was that but yeah i would have thought bring it back and see what happens and have a go because all those guys that are established riders they don't need to say that they finished second or third they and you look yeah you'd probably think all things being equal Wout does up Alaphilippe just right even if he gets caught 2k's before he still recovers and still can put in enough of a dig to get second but like you say like we watched last night in another race which we're going to come to Liège you never know what's going to happen so yeah I mean I'm not judging them because I've never been at that level but also but I'm not judging them because, yeah, when you're, when you're shattered, when you're really, you know, on the limit, your brain doesn't work as well. But they, these guys have been in that situation many a times. So surely it's a philosophy thing. It's like that prisoner's dilemma, you know. Do I, yeah. do I cooperate and for a better outcome or do I play it safe and, and don't trust the other person for a, for a lesser outcome? Yeah, it's, um, you mentioned the mind there, and obviously that plays a pretty big role in the wash-up. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, they've done 250, 260K, so they're entitled to be a little bit rooted. But, you know, we're sitting in our armchairs at home, and we expect um, 100% commitment the whole time, Scotty. It's ex- that, that is exactly right, Ross. They, they've got to understand that we as their shareholders... <laughs> We're staying up till 12.30 at night, 1 o'clock at night, you know, having a coffee at 9.30 at night just to watch them. And we expect courageous decisions. So maybe they're just losing touch with their base. Yeah. Well, I think that's an element of it. And, and, you know, I mentioned before, no guts, no glory. We're not considering how tired we're going to be the next day. We're all in. We're all in for that particular race, which is happening on, you know, the the other side of the planet. So, um, you know, kudos to us, really. Yeah, we don't get any like direct messages from our fans saying well done for staying up to one thirty. I know your heart rate variability was a bit more compressed because you didn't get as much sleep. Thank you very much. No, we don't yeah. get that. We just soldier on. So yeah. they should be able to too. Yeah, in because we've had such a, a plethora of cycling, I have looked at my nutrition and I'm sort of weaning myself off three biscuits and a cup of tea. I've gone back to one and a half and, and maybe just looking at how I approach the finish line, um, what sort of nutrition I've got. So that's that's been a good experience. Scotty, you mentioned some of the camera shots in the world's 
And I hark back to when you spoke about on the tour for the uphill time trial, and there was an epic mm. shot that over, you know, behind the, oh, the finish yeah. line. That was just absolutely yeah. fantastic. There was a similar shot in Worlds where I remember it pretty distinctly. Alaphilippe would be just cresting the open plane with, you know, the hill backdrop in the background. Um, it was yeah. absolutely magnificent. And I can just picture that the chopper pilot was told, if you don't get that shot, yeah. this is your last day of fucking working with us. <laughs> I can guarantee you of that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, riding across that ridge line, that yeah. is as epic as a um as perspective as it gets, isn't it? Like you're seeing them riding about 50 Ks an hour or whatever it was, probably 55. It's it was so amazing. Someone's got again, someone's got to use that footage. It was incredible for the women and for the men. It was just amazing. Moving along to Flesh Wallone, Scotty. Did you catch yeah. any of this race? Yeah, I um I must admit I only watched the last five Ks. Um because yeah, I was just chock a block on the armchair watching a whole lot of races and stuff. So I only watched the five, last five. The murder yeah. hoy, that is a fucking cruel way to end a bike race, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder what your legs feel like <laughs> after two hundred and fifty Ks and then you've got to put out some horsepower at the end there. Oh I gosh. um I, a few years ago when um Valverde won I watched him and I, I, I watched him and he rode out of the saddle fr- from the bottom of the climb to the top and uh, one I, I timed it. I went back and timed it. One minute 52 out of the saddle with enough, enough acceleration up that last kick before it just flattens a little bit yeah. and to win. So I don't know. I wonder what that feels like. One minute 52 out of the saddle after 250 Ks. Um, out, you know, he's probably putting out six, 600 watts, the whole thing. Cool. So yeah, yeah it's um. And it was interesting to to watch the women ride it um, just before the men. And um, I forget the name of this cyclist, female cyclist, but she she was trailing Vanderbregen, who has won it. I think that might have been her fourth or fifth win. Could have even mm. been her sixth win. Probably knew every square inch of that particular climb. And this female cyclist took off, got out of the saddle, she was off, and she got. I reckon she got. 10 metres in front of Vanderbregen, and then you yeah. could almost read her, hear what she was thinking. It was like, oh, far. oh no. Oh. Oh, I think oh. I might have gone a little bit too early here. Um, <laughs> With Vanderbregen, she won the Giro, she won the Worlds, she won Flesh, and I think she, there was another one in there. So she's incredible form as well. And she's a very good time trialer, and you watch her on the bike and it's all dead still. She's strong and sort of ever, the body stays compact, you know, it doesn't move around too much. And I remember that when you're saying that, right, I can't remember her name either. Maybe she's not a big name. Maybe that's why we didn't remember her. But um, the one who attacked early and then ran out of gas. And Van, uh, Vanderbregen pretty much stayed in the saddle the whole way up, made a hoy. So, um, and then she only got out of the saddle a little bit at the end, I think. So she's just got – and she did the same thing at the Worlds. Up that steep climb, the last climb, the last lap, she stayed in the saddle the whole time. So she's got that extra bit of strength, and I guess that just allows herself to pace pace herself a little bit more on those big efforts. You alerted me to this uh, a little earlier in the season. Um, If you get the chance, watch the women's races. And I am so glad that I have been because every single race that I've watched has been an absolute zinger. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they seem to be, it's almost like old school racing where rider against rider as opposed to who's got the most teammates still left at the key sections of the, of the races. It seems like each team or the there's like probably four or five or six regular usual suspects yeah. and usually it's not as um, it's not as controlled as it, it, seems, it seems in the men's peloton. Yeah. So more stuff happens. There's more swashbuck, you know, swashbuckling attacks from 50 and 60 Ks away. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's unreal. 
And the winner of Flesh Alone was Mark Hirschi. This guy, I don't want to play one against the other, but my deep-seated love for Wout Van Aert <laughs> is suddenly under threat. And Mark Hirschi is creating some sort of love triangle that I'm not sure I can really handle. Like it's, it's a lot on my plate at the moment. And the lad from Switzerland is, is making things really difficult. He won Flesh Alone. That's to, to go with his Tour de France win. Third mm. in the Worlds. Um, we'll get mm. to Liège, Baston Liège soon, but he was second in that. I mean, he's been an absolute revelation. Um, he's got yeah, belief. Yeah. He looks dangerous every single time he clips in. Like And tough too, Scotty. He crashed in the tour, if you remember, flat out mm. on the descent. Got back on and kept riding. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it like you, you feel like you can read the body language? It, it just seems um, when he's in those last selections, just look at his body language when he has to roll to the front and it's like a three or four-man group or whatever. He just seems so confident. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe when you've got the legs and you're feeling good, you do you do look confident. But he's got this sort of body language about him that he's almost like he knows what he's doing, like he's yeah. done it before. And look, he's a world champion junior, and he was a world champion under 23. So I don't think we're talking about a flash in the pan. No, he's got some good genes there, obviously, and I think he's uh, he's taken some inspiration from Cancellara, obviously uh, another Swiss rider. And it's as almost as if they've cut open his neck and poured Cancellara's <laughs> skill and, and ability and engine and just sewed back his neck together because he's an absolute beast. And the thing that almost makes you cry is the fact that he's 22. I mean, yeah. this guy's set for a maybe not yeah. a long career because he's going to race some hard races, but gee, while he's, while he's with us, he's going to have some mm. belter of it at times. No, it's been very impressive, hasn't it? You know, and dealing with some, yeah, winning some big races. And also just also for us to keep a lookout for is, um, you know, Cancellara is his manager, isn't he? Oh, he is um, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cancellara manages him. And look, we love Cancellara. You know, his racing was incredible. But but there's also a bit of Cancellara loves Cancellara as well. So um, <laughs> I just think we need to keep our ears and eyes open to the fact that Cancellara, I think he's just got that possible possibility that he'll be just looking to sort of draw the attention back from Hershey, divert a bit of that attention back to him to sort of saying, you know, yeah, we're doing great things. Yeah, we've really got a good program oh, in place yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah, we, we're doing this, we're doing that. And then, you know, maybe there's a few eyes in there too. And yeah. I mean, look, that's not having a go at Cancellara, but I don't think he shies away from sort of saying, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, so what that says to me is perhaps we need to get a direct line to Hirschi and say, listen, you're on our good list at the moment, you're on our team, but we're fully aware of the people you're surrounded with and if we see you step out of line, um, mm. we could just clip you just to keep you, you know, on the straight and narrow just a little bit. Yeah, and have you, have you thought about being represented by a Southern Hemisphere company? <laughs> <laughs> None <laughs> that, that hasn't actually formulated itself yet, but we're willing to uh, get our but ADN we are, out. <laughs> yeah, we're fresh, we're real, we're agile. Mate, uh, we're talking about beasts in the form of Mark Hirschi. Can I talk about another beast? And his name yes. is Matthew van der Poel. In the Big Bang Tour, he soloed from 50 kilometres out. Um, I mean, we knew he was pretty talented and uh, a world champion in the cyclocross, but we talk about beasts and this bloke fits that bill pretty well. Yeah, no, it's what he does, isn't it? He's got that big engine. He can hold power for a long time. That's why he's a real candidate at Roubaix and Flanders, of course. And then if I, I'm, look, I'll, I'll jump ahead, Ross, but if we look at Liège, based on Liège last night, so you had the four in front, the group of four in the front, and then you had a group behind of about 10. And as Vanderpol, every time the camera went to that, that chase group, it was Vanderpol in the front. So he was yeah. doing the lion's share of the pulling. 
And then, um, sure enough, he crosses the line, like, basically in fifth place. Actually, Mohoric got off the front. But my point is, you know, when you see Vanderpol and he's just dragging the group and he's got the big cool and gatter gold shoulders, <laughs> just just dragging, like, 20, 25, you know, maggots behind him. He, he, he's impressive, mate. He, he's oh. impressive. And I just really hope he can deliver on one of these big races because he's, like, for him to almost get over that last climb in Liège as a pretty big bloke, you know, it's, it shows his phenomenal positioning, tactics, determination, and massive engine. And so he did five days of Big Bank, and then he rode Liège, one of the hardest one-day classic, they reckon, pretty much the hardest race out of all of them, harder than Roubaix, pretty much, they reckon. Yep. And he rode that the next day. So that 50K time trial breakaway to win and go win the GC as well, win the stage and GC, that was just a little opener for him the day before doing Liège. Yeah, so Scott, you mentioned he's certainly set himself for Roubaix and Flanders, hasn't he? In terms of classics, that's what he's aiming for. There's no reason to believe that he can't win both of them. I mean, he's going to be right in the mix of favourites for both of those races. Yeah, well, I think I said it, I might have even said it before here. When was it last year when Gilbert won Roubaix? Was that when he won it last year? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he won it last year. Anyway, um, but that was I, I think I said it here too. Like he was his team wasn't invited to Roubaix, but with the form he had coming off Amstel Gold when he won, I reckon if he had been riding with um, Gilbert in that last ten k's, I reckon he would rip Gilbert's legs off either in the sprint or on one of those sectors. And Gilbert's a tough mofo, so yeah, he's got huge horsepower. Those sort of hard long races with climbs that are not too long. Yeah, that's his go. Yeah, and he also and, could create some issues uh, with my love triangle. Like if he starts to get prominent, um, it all, almost starts to verge on me. You know, the questions come to me, who are you going to pick from? Because I can't mm. be involved with three other riders, you know, and mm. then I start to take my focus on other things that I've got, like work <laughs> and, and family and stuff like that. So yeah. oh, the dilemmas of a cycling fan, Scotty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be like, a, you know, what do you stand for, Ross? You know, <laughs> what do you stand for? We've mentioned the age, best on the age. It lived up to the hype. It's a magnificent race. It's a brutal race. The conditions were, although it was at opposite ends of the seasons, it totally lived up to that epicness. Yeah, still fucking cold. Yeah. Our man, Alaphilippe, uh, never one to get too far out of the limelight. Uh, he certainly uh, mixed things up a little bit. Yeah. So... He covered an early attack from Lewis Leon Sanchez too, so he's he's sort of keen. He wasn't didn't want to sit back, and then um, they got over that last climb and descended in. So what do we have? We had the four guys, didn't we, in the last five, five k's or so, six yep. k's, four guys descending into Liège, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, what do you think, mate? What do you think of that sprint? Well, I thought he had a look over his shoulder, and it was certainly. I mean, he was lucky that he, she, and Pogaccia was also pretty lucky that he didn't go over too. Um, mm. the, I didn't have a problem with him being relegated. I think he was he was pretty reckless. And look, a combination of probably being a little bit tired, which you're entitled to be after 250-odd Ks of racing, and maybe even just a slight deliberate sort of check on some of those blokes who might be threatening his position. But in terms of the cardinal sin of going way too early in the run of the line, putting the arms up and uh, Primoz Roglic, uh, I'll take that win. Thanks very much, Julian. Um, Get the chockey. So, yeah, look, we've all gone too early at some point in our life, haven't we, Scotty? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. But, um, (laughs) yeah, like, yeah, good on Roglic. That's awesome. 
great that he could um, – and even in the um, even in the post-race interview, you know, finally I want to race. You know, he's, he's won heaps of races this year, but, yeah, finally. So he's got a good sense of humour. Yeah. So good on him, you know, that sticking it out and racing all the way to the end. And, yeah, Alaphilippe does a crucial error, of course. But, you know, you said he's a bit tired. I reckon – I just wonder if he's actually getting tired coming to the end of this phase of racing he's done. Yep. So he's done the, um, you know, the Worlds. He's done the, the Tour – you know, you know when they swung on to that home straight, they came around that sort of that right hand. They swung onto the home straight, and then Alaphilippe did a savage cut to he swing wide. He did it too, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he did it. And so, so, and he, and he's always a bit twitchy on the bike, anyway. You know, and he's not like um, say even Wout Van Aert who keeps it smooth all the time. He's always twitchy, and you know, that's just the way he is. Yep. But that was a savage cut, and I just reckon I was looking to looking at someone who's getting tired. Now, I'd, again, I don't know if it's just because of that one race or whether it's the accumulation of workload that he's had. But that um, savage cut in the sprint. Yeah, I reckon obviously he was conscious of uh, those two blokes coming up on his left side. But at the same time, I, I just reckon that's they're the types of things you do when you're a bit desperate because you're mm. a bit t- you're, you're tired. You know what I mean? You make those desperate sort of moves. And I don't think it was I don't think it was 100 malicious and calculating. I think it's sort of just a bit you know out of control and desperate. Really, yeah. No, no doubt he intended to. I reckon, but I don't think it was a you know a, you know, a, a deliberately dangerous thing. But yeah, even though it could have been. Yeah, probably more more reckless than uh, malicious. But I, I certainly think um, that he knew they were there. I, I reckon yeah, he had a glance out of the shoulder. Um, yeah, there's absolutely. absolutely no question. So is Alaphilippe the ultimate drama queen for a bike race? Like he just, I mean, yeah. I know he's French, but yeah. fucking yeah, hell. French. <laughs> That's right, yeah. No, that's right. And yeah, doing those sorts of things is in the same family as doing those other things. You know, when he when he sticks sticks it in up the podio, you know, that's what we love. You know, he's, he has a he has a crack. He made a decision at some point in his cycling career that he wants to race in a certain way, yep. and that's how he does it. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's he says, I want to race this way as opposed to what's the safest way that guarantees me the best chance of success. No, I want to race in a way that feels good. It's interesting to me and it's um, amazing to watch. You know, there's not many guys or girls who can do it like that or who do do it like that. Yeah. And a positive thing that, that he's wearing black nicks with the rain, white rainbow jersey. Uh, I'm not mm. sure the world was ready for a Rui Costa um, <laughs> white nicks and white top. I think as flashy and as full of life as Alaphilippe is, um, I think mm. he's, he's played the right card there with the black nicks. Yeah, yeah, especially on wet days too. Maybe, <laughs> maybe on like a, maybe on a super dry day, you could get away with it. But yeah, yeah, like the UAE kit, their top is white, and when it gets all sweat, so it just looks grey. Yeah, and that's and that they're pro teams, you know, they're pro yeah. teams who who have you know brand new kit all the time because it's so, so critical, obviously. But um, yeah. And you know the thing about this, you know, so good on Roglic for winning, fantastic. No one, everyone would be happy with that. Yeah, uh, Alaphilippe made a mistake on the line, but also got DQ'd anyway. But the thing about it is, I reckon Hershey's the big loser there because I reckon he was going to win. Yep. And and he got chopped off and made him pull his foot from his cleat. He still came in third, I think. Yeah. So um, I reckon he was – that's just in my opinion, but I reckon he was going to win and then he got stopped from winning. So, yeah, um, unlucky. So Alaphilippe, yeah, he caused it, but yeah, anyway – yeah. That's the way it goes. Scotty, we've also got the Giro going on. We've spoken about a lot of races here. We've got a grand tour happening over at the moment over in Italy. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and um, I love that. Again, classic Giro. We're going to have a time trial. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a downhill time trial. 
And we're gonna we're gonna have a tough job. And we've got this straight road that goes for about fucking five hundred k's. It's straight and it's massively steep. And also, there's some big winds coming off the coast. So let's do that. Hundred k's an hour with crosswinds. How do you like them with a with a with a full disc wheel? Go was, fuck yourself. Oh, <laughs> I was fucking white knuckled in me armchair at home. <laughs> I'm watching this. I think it was uh, it was the NTT rider that come out and, and binned it on the on one of his. Oh first yeah, tours. Um, oh. yeah. I know the exact guy. I can't think of his name, but yeah, I know the exact. I saw it happen. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, and, and I mean that was after some close calls. I think Yates might have been one who just managed to correct it after a little bit of a shuffle to the side, and then they round that corner, and then it's downhill, and it's fucking quick. My it's God. On. Sagan that's said on. that he got he was 101 kilometres an hour top speed. I think like, <laughs> that's just fucking unbelievable. Yeah, and those bikes, you know, they're like they're like trying to steer a shopping trolley, you know, from inside the shopping trolley. <laughs> like, yeah, they, yeah, they're they're prick. But more importantly than all that, great to have that type of time trial for a spectator because it's different, you know, it's new and you know, tests a different quality in the riders and all that. But um, did you see Filippo Garner, the guy who obviously won the stage? Did you see his bike? I did. Yeah, that was off yeah. the so top you know, shelf, wasn't it? Yeah. So you know, like Greg Van Avermaet wins a gold medal in Rio, so he's got the gold front, you know, the gold dipped helmet, and the the front of his bike's gold. Not Garner, mate. Just solid gold frame. And you know what? <laughs> He's done him up there because it looked way better than than GVA's um, giant bike. The full solid gold. I reckon. I reckon it was actually solid gold frame too. That's why he got down the hill so quickly. It was impressive. He won the stage, and there was a little bit of discussion about Rowan Dennis. Didn't really. Um, I know different courses can suit different riders, but he couldn't steal mm. that one off his teammate, could he? No, no, no. Um, yeah, pure power. Where, where did Dennis came in? Where did he come in? Was he in the top ten? No, he wasn't in the top ten. Garner obviously um, had form. He'd come off the world's winning, and then also, you know, he had that track. He did, you know, four k's on the track at four minutes oh two. Yeah, like unbelievable power. And then he also did. Didn't he do like seven hundred watts for three minutes or something? Oh, Fucking incredible. Yeah, so he's just a beast. He's a beast. Do you reckon, like, do you reckon there's any chance, Ross, that Garner, you know, he's sort of gold, gold, gold at the moment? Gold, gold, Australia, gold, gold. Um, he's got the gold bite. Do you reckon he's like, you know, you know, we're speaking of um, Dirty Dave Brailsford. We're wondering if, you know, he is actually Dr. Evil. But yeah. do you reckon Filippo Garner is like that character in Austin Powers, gold member, like where he's got the golden tackle as well because he loves gold so much? <laughs> is, there, is there any chance that, Ross? I, I think yeah. there's a massive chance, Scotty. I've heard he's got gold teeth. Um, and if you see him in some of those hard stages, you will notice it. When he's grimacing, you, he'll reveal those gold teeth. Unconfirmed reports just yet whether his tackle is gold. But um, look, mate, he's Because if you're going to have gold, like, you know, we're marginal gains with Team Ineos, if you're going to have gold, at least then it's in a central position, sort of close to your centre of mass. So maybe it provides some stability in those crosswinds down there. And I'm sure it's like anything, Scotty. You're only an operation away from just setting that up. Um, it, mm. Anything can be done these days. Just get the right surgeon and away you go. So, Dirty um, Dave's got access to a fair bit of mon- money to be able to get that done. Yeah, yeah um, Felipe won't be riding in the next race because he's going in for surgery to alter some of his body, more of his body, into gold. 
Can you imagine, right, you know, the Giro trophy, like that, it's that sort of ribbon, that twirly ribbon, you know? Yeah. Can you visualize that? Yeah. Imagine like Garner, Garner has a few beers after one of the stage and he pulls out the uh, the trophy and he sort of puts his gold member through the middle of it and just like, hey, Jerry, am I taking this too far? Do I need to let go right now? Diego Ulissi, um, unfortunately, he's not the mm. gold member, but he did win stage two. So ahead of Sagan. Sagan finished second again, mate. Yeah, yeah. I um, you know how we talk about the GCN Global Cycling Network app and how yeah. we love it. I was thinking about that. It's not the app we love; it's the race pass contained within the app, which is a subscription thing. Gives you all right. the access to all the races. So I want to make that clear because some people might be like, "Yeah, what the fuck's so good about the app?" No, it's the race pass. It's yeah. sixty bucks for twelve months, so it's cheap, and you get to see pretty much all the races. Yeah. And here in Australia, the ones that it doesn't hold, SBS holds. So anyway, why am I saying all that? Yeah, Sagan. They do some good analysis, I think, after each stage. And Brian, one of the um, commentators there, he, he referred to that. He reckons that Alyssi, if there's a bit of climbing and then it, it's going to result in a sprint out of the climb, he reckons over the last few years, and it's under 200 Ks, so this is well how well he looks, under 200 Ks, hilly finish, sprint finish, then Elise's almost unbeatable, he reckons. That, that specific type of parkour you know, suits him. So, yeah, good on him. And, yeah, Sagan obviously strong enough to put himself in position, but I was watching. He just didn't quite have the, um, the F1, you know, that high revving little bit on the end. Yeah. Probably because he was so cactus in closing the gap because he closed the gap across to the last two guys and Matthews was on his wheel and Matthews couldn't get across at all. So, yeah, hopefully right. it indicates that um, Sagan's sharpening up. Up, hopefully, yeah. Well, that was that was going to be my next question, Scotty. Does he do you look to have a little bit of that zing back? Do you think? Well, enough zing to get across and be there and 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 get across in a hard finish. Yeah, but not enough where he might be able to normally put in a really a powerful dig. You know, out of that once yeah. he made it across, and then um, again it was a good finish because you got the aerial view from the, the helicopter. And Elise went left of the Dukunic quick step guy. Elise went left, and Sagan started going left with him, but the quick step guy went left, and it sort of blocked Sagan a bit. And then after that, he lost his momentum and he hope he had was gone so not yet but maybe a little bit better he's on the right track yeah that's good going through some of the favorites here we've got from a gc perspective we've got nibbly uh garrett thomas we've also got our good mate and and a really big fan of the show stephen Karozvik, who's back from his shoulder injury that forced him out of the tour the man that is affectionately known as Coat hanger Krasvike on this particular podcast. Mm. Now, half yeah. England understands, Scotty, that Jumbo Visma searched the length and breadth of countries across seas and deserts for the appropriate coat hanger to mm. complement his shoulder injury. Um, yep. Now, he already had one inserted. Obviously, yep. with an injury, things can get a bit banged up. We need to reinforce some certain things. They ended up consulting this mob by the name of mycoathangers.com. Now, their catch cry, I had a bit of a, did a bit of research on mycoathangers.com. You will find the right hanger from us more than 150 styles in stock. So there's plenty to choose from, from Coat Hangers Crowsbot. Also, Ross, it wasn't a case of them just ordering online. There was like they actually had a meeting because it's like, you know, we're talking about a top line right here. We don't just – we want some special attention. Uh, you know, at least we want to feel like we're getting special attention for our special rider. And so they met them in person and they took him into the back room where there was some, some ah, special products. Back room. Yeah, so this is where – you didn't know this. You were you had to leave the meeting after this, but you didn't know this. Yeah, and and um, so that, that the coat hanger was sort of made – 
with this sort of organic carbon composite material with a with a sort of a living intelligent fiber. So he's got this coat hanger in him now that's sort of this organic carbon composite that's sort of half alive wow. and and yeah, it really integrates into his whole chassis. Could that be so this, classified as coat hanger doping? Well, did Dave Brailsford know anything about the Jiffy bag? Well, you know, where, where, like, is it? Are we just pushing the edge or we, yeah. who knows where the line is, mate? Talk about marginal gains and all to repair or, or seemingly get a man's shoulders back to mm. the, the real square sort of, you know, stature that we know he is and, and it almost shrinks his head to the size of a pea because <laughs> his shoulders are that broad. Because um, he's got, he's sort of got, he seems to be like got narrow hips. He's got long clavicles, you know, they're your collarbones, which make your shoulders wide. So it's like maybe, Steve, I know you grew up in, where are the fuck, you know, in the Netherlands, and I know the weather's cold pretty much there, but have you ever thought about Olympic swimming? Because maybe you got the wrong, I oh, know, look, you've finished third on the Tour de France. You almost won the Giro before you decided to make your a nice man but have you ever considered changing sports because you've got the, you've got the physique the narrow hips and the wide shoulders come on yeah, mate yeah. think about it yeah, yeah, steve are you still there steve, steve you're listening well, are you no, listening to listening. this he, he will be listening scott he's a big fan of the show and i'm yeah. certain that um in his days warm warm-ups um in preparation for each stage at the zero he'll be tapping mm. into in particular this episode six so mm. um, we look forward just to shrugging his shoulders as he as he hears us talk about the organic uh-huh. carbon interface face yeah just just a little bit twitchy it's just he's just getting it used to being yeah. in his body so it's, it's yeah. all part of the yeah. recovery process Scotty, you mentioned Dirty Dave before. Um, I'm mm. not sure whether you caught his quotes. Um, I, I looked online a little earlier in the week and, and noticed, um, obviously, they had a lot of press in and around Ineos regarding their selection for the Tour de France. Um, there was a, a little bit of conjecture over Garrett Thomas and Chris Froome. Would they, wouldn't they pick them? In the end, they both didn't go. Now, yeah. obviously, Dirty Dave had been Dirty Dave Brailsford under the pump a little bit in terms of the narrative around that. He mm. came out and said this, I think you guys, and maybe the way it was explained, misunderstood the whole thing around the tour, Brailsford said. People saw mm. it as a non-selection. It's not a non-selection when you look at the situation. Everybody came through the confinement in different ways. Everybody got to a point in their condition, and when you've got that factor in the evidence, you then sit down and agree. It's not a non-selection. Mm. It's deciding how best you allocate your resources. Um, mm. Dirty Dave, I know you're a listener of the show and a big fan of the show. If you don't select two people, I'm pretty sure that's a fucking non-selection, mate. You reckon that was almost like a condescending slap down from Dave? Like, oh. like he's trying to say, all right, you know, high noon, Garrett, we'll meet at the table. And they are both arrive at the table. <laughs> you know, what do you think, Garrett? I'm not there. Yeah, I didn't think you were there either. So we agree then? Yep, I'm not going. Okay, yeah. see you later. You know, it's like it's democratic. Yeah. I think so, Dave just just lost his patience, hasn't he? He's just lost his patience with the press. Can't understand how you do that. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things. Like he's used to dealing with um, top shelf operators like Half Wheel and Podcast, and, and when he gets mm. snuffies that start to you know maybe interrogate yeah. him a little bit around inverted commas non selection, that's mm. when he starts to you know if he had hair to pull out, he would pull it out. <laughs> that's right. And he can't put hits on any journalists anymore, so he's got to learn to be a bit, you know, he's taken a leaf out of Dan, uh, our Premier here, you know, he's he's, uh, incredible endurance facing the press for 80 days in a row and the patience he's got. Just being a little bit more discreet about things. 
yeah. Plus, he always, you know, it's always an opportunity for him to get in front of the camera too. Loves it. Loves it. He does. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Scotty, um, were you across the Adam Hansen situation? Obviously not being offered a contract with Lotto Sudal for next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I heard that uh, just the other day I heard that they said to about 10 or 12 riders or whatever that they're not going to go with them. And maybe some of those are older riders too. So maybe they're sort of looking at starting afresh. Yeah. And Hansen's old and super experienced. But then just today I, I read that he's going to do go and do triathlons. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, that just makes perfect sense. Yeah, he's a beast, isn't he, Adam Hansen? I mean, yeah. we talk about hard men and almost got to a point where that Grand Tour run that he had was almost becoming a story within itself and maybe took away from not the focus of him, but it probably put undue focus on the team and got to a point where it was actually larger than the rider himself. And yeah. I'd look back at that now and wonder whether that was completely necessary. Maybe you, I know it's fucking fantastic achievement to, to do three grand tours in one year for however many years that he did it. But mm. yeah, it probably overshadowed him as a rider a little bit, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, and I heard him, um, he's been on Mitch Docker's podcast a couple of times, and if you get a chance, if you haven't already listened to those, fantastic. He's a fa- he's a really interesting sort of a guy, and he's a really independent thinker, and he loves to t- make his own decisions, and he's happy to take responsibility for them. And um, yeah, he said towards the end, not only all those things that you're talking about, but also it sort of, it just felt like a change and, and freshening things up, because he was in, he'd, he'd sort of developed such a perfected routine about how to do those three grand tours a year, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, he was just wanting to change. And, um, yeah, Boyle reports in, in his interviews about this shift to triathlon. Um, he's really excited about it, as he says, because the triathlon, they haven't got as many restrictions in terms of how the bikes have to be and your equipment. They're a bit more progressive than the cycling. Yeah. So um, he can go and have a crack and try all of his, you know, scientific sort of explorations. He loves that shit, he loves it. He, you know, he's, he's pretty, this guy's a pretty impressive guy. If you go and, if you, you hear him in extended conversation, he's pretty impressive in terms of his independence and his attitude and um, what he's prepared to do and try. And, um, you know, he's, he's made his own carbon cycling shoes. They're lighter than anything that's on the market. He's, um, he's made, and people probably already know all this, but he made the the data information management systems that a lot of the pro teams use to manage their riders and teams and operations. Yep. He designed it all, the software tech, because that's where what his background was. He came out of triathlons originally. So anyway, yeah, he's a pretty amazing sort of a guy, very interesting guy. And he's, I just love the fact that, okay, this career is ending and him, boom, he's straight into beauty. I've got something else to do. Yeah, so I just yeah. love that. Like uh, rather than, yeah, so he's worked to keep those those opportunities alive for when his career finishes, and now he's got something to move into after cycling. As opposed to, if you somehow for whatever reason haven't got anything else, then obviously that would be a possible a moment of fear and dread when your cycling career ending. You know, because I was like, sure. what what am I going to do now? Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to to watch that with interest um, in terms of how he goes performance wise. Um, mm. Certainly, um, you know, with that elite mindset, he'll he'll be. An interesting one to watch in the triathlon space. Do you know one thing, Ross, about him that really um, sold me? The journalist asked him, how do you find the time to do all these things as well as being a professional racer? You know, do the software, do the shoes, do his own clothing line, do these things. Um, he's involved with some bi- um, He's also involved with some biometric sort of bike fit technology as well, a Japanese company. And you know what he said when they said, how have you got the time? He, he said, well, what are the other riders doing with their time? 
What are, what are they doing? Yeah. So he just flipped it on its head. It's not as though he doesn't have enough time. He said, well, what are they doing with their time? Because, yeah. yeah. you know, so I, I just reckon, yeah, there's a guy who's sort of really sort of, um, no, I don't know, you feel like, yeah, exactly. And he owns his life, you know, he really owns it. We've sort of pointed our finger at Richie Port a few times and then obviously had the very good tour where he finished third and you'd have to say he rode to his potential, you know. Like he had a shit-hot time trial and, and Pogaccio had a you know unbelievable one. So he did everything right, had a great tour. But then we see him in Flesh Wallon and Liège and I think I, I haven't looked it up, but I don't think he's done those races many times because it probably didn't fit in with his grand tour sort of programming. But on the last climb, Murderhoy uh, at uh, Flesh, you know, there he is. He's off the front having a go. And then, you know, in the last 20Ks, he's still right there at the front at Liège. So, you know, and looking, the body language is interesting, wasn't it? Like, uh, just really, I just really enjoyed seeing him that. And I felt like I was watching someone who really wanted to be there and was enjoying himself. You'd have to say, Scotty, that the way he's presented since Tour de France in the in the races that you mentioned since the one day races, which again hasn't hasn't raced a lot of chalk and cheese, mm, yeah. his appearance yeah. um, as you mentioned about Liège, he looked up for battle last mm. night. I mean, we're taping this the day after Liège, and he was up for the fight, and you know mixing it um, with the best going up the Murder Hoy. Hey, one more thing, Liège best on Liège, the women's race. Um, Lizzie Armstead won. Lizzie Armstead, no. Diagnan now, that's her married name. Yeah, Diagnan, yep, sorry. She obviously had a a kid about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and then she's coming, come back into the pro peloton and winning. And she's a former world champion, so she's a gun, so good on her. And the um, she went over the last climb ahead of the chase bunch. And Grace Jones, an Australian rider from Mitchell and Scott, she attacked the the chase bunch and then was bringing Diagnan back in those closing 15Ks, but couldn't quite peg back the 20 seconds. So that was a great ride from Grace Jones as well. Oh, Grace Jones, Grace Brown as well. But I only bring this up, Ross, because it's another one we need to keep watching because if you go and have a look at that closing case where that, you know, Grace Brown is on the camera a lot. Again, another one who looks bloody magnificent on the bike. Yes. It's just so, she looks so good. So she is a good time trialer. Again, so these, these riders that come out of track or time trial, they're usually, they're either, they're good or that, that ability gets developed because it's the only way to be successful yeah. and to maximise your potential. So, yeah, look look great on the bike. Yeah, like, she did. Go back to that Robbie McEwen quote. She just looked like she'd been poured onto it, didn't she? She looked absolutely yeah. fantastic. Riding a huge gear, but her pedal mm. stroke was fantastic. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And, and we all need to be looking for opportunities where we can bring in that into our, you know, riding. We're just going to tune into our body and feel how we're uh, you know, sitting on the bike and balanced on the bike and how efficiently the bike's moving forward and how efficiently we're turning the pedals and all those things that it's important to bring that into your awareness and include that in what you're focusing on, whether it be normal riding or fast riding or racing, whatever. Yeah, I think that's, sure. I think it's a really important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And what works for one person is perhaps not going to be the, the same for the next person, Scotty. Some some yeah. people might like riding the drops. Other people prefer to stay in mm. the woods and it's not a one-size-fits-all model. Yeah, for sure. So I'm interested to keep on this, you know, following through your your own professional cycling career pathway. Very interested <laughs> in that. So, you know, we've we've talked about what you were wanting to do with your own riding, which was, you know, improve your climbing, improve your printing, that's that sort of thing, you know, yep. um, all within the context of group riding. Yep. 
um, fast bunch riding basically. And I've got my own thing with um, preparing for criteriums, which I don't even know if they're going to happen this year in Victoria, Australia. So um, that is, I haven't got as much to report, but you were saying that, you know, you wanted to improve your climb B with the last bunch of guys. Where are you at with all that? Well, Where would you say you're at with it? I, I think at this point, I'm benefiting from being able to get a solid block of, of indoor riding in over the winter. So manage to get a trainer, a smart trainer, and do a fair bit uh, indoors, which has set me up, given me a, a decent base to work from. Now it's just I'm finding less uh, in terms of the focus on the, the physical side of things, more in terms of the mental application of putting that better feeling physically into performance out on the road. Now, we're not racing for, for sheep stations by any means, but seeing where it can get to and trying to get the right mental application to help that prosper. And I'm finding that to be every bit as valuable as being in good nick physically, Scotty. So what is that mental thing that you're referring to? Well, I've found that if I'm not worried about getting dropped, not worrying about uh, what pace the the front of the bunch is doing, and I've found if I can narrow my focus to following the wheel that's just in front of me, and it Mm. seems to almost bring you into the present moment and calm you, and it actually makes you enjoy the ride a bit more. Regardless of what speed you're doing, regardless of how you're feeling, if the legs are cooked, so be it. It certainly brings a clear head, which then you get the benefit from your, your physical state that you're in anyway. Mm, yeah, right. Because that's, um, that's some of our conversations, you know, for a while now, isn't it? Um, that being present in different settings, like not only on the bike that you're describing there, but also in conversation, in the work that we do is in our coaching, just the, the power of that and, and what sort of derails you or not you, but anyone, all yeah. of us, what, what sort of, ta- what can take us out of being present and what can draw us into being present. To give an example of what it's like not to be present on the bike is, mm. oh, geez, my legs are feeling shit. Fuck, I, I can't wait for this to end. I hope I can hang on. I'm going to miss the wheel. Um, geez, oh, I wonder what gear am I in? Are my tyres? Have I got a flat tyre? What, what's, you know, you're just searching yeah. and yes. taking your mind off what you're doing for the things that aren't really going to have, have got no control over what your ride is going to end up like. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those things that you, a lot of those self-talk things that you mentioned then are all about the future. You know, am I going to be able to do this? Where's it going to go? Can I hang on? A lot of them were about, yeah, concerned about the future or things that would influence the future. Like, oh, yeah. I've got a flat, have I got a flat tire? That means I won't be able to, yeah. And so it's, it's so fascinating when you just allow yourself to do what you can with still though having the intent to stay with the group or finish in the front or whatever it be, you know, or win the race or whatever. You've still got an intent, but you're just relaxed about how it's happening and you're just taking care of now. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You don't mistake it for if someone goes, oh, I'm just going to let them go because I don't give a shit. You certainly, you certainly give a shit. In, in fact, yeah. you, you care a lot about it, but mm. um, you're remaining really calm and the self-talk isn't there and you enjoy it so much more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you reckon if like, you know, because you talked about, like I said, a few episodes we discussed this, being improve your climbing, improve your sort of, you know, the sprint back into the finish line where, you know, the bunch sort of back into town, that sort of thing on tired legs. 
And then I said, you know, is there a pro rider that sort of has these sort of qualities? And you joked a little bit and referred to Wout Van Aert, but could it be that that is sort of the type of type of sort of qualities? You know, not we're not saying, of course, we're not saying you think you're him, but yeah. we're just sort of saying, is is it those type of qualities, or is it something else? Do you think is it becoming yeah. more refined? Maybe um, that that puncher. I think I relate to Scotty. I think that yeah. um, so I'm, I'm not a sprinter. I'm, I'm not a climber, but you know, with some different terrain, perhaps I can I can mix it up on any given day. So generally yeah. speaking, that that puncture that could maybe cause a few headaches. Not that I'd, I'd race in it, but it could be in the mix as things progress. Um, and yeah. and I enjoy that terrain too. I yeah, enjoy yeah, the, yeah. the short punchy climbs that have that've got a bit on. Them. Yeah. So it sounds like um you that sort of that mental being present keeping your attention there is something oh, i'm just assuming here but it sounds like that's something you can play with in that climbing and in that sprinting sort of part of the ride yeah i think it's given me a bit of a platform scotty to be able to come back to if things if things start to you know if the chatter starts then yeah. I can start all oh, right eh? there's a couple of things i'll just follow the wheel or just get the pedal mm. straight right or just get back to the breath and there there are a few different things that um yeah. that you can come back to that you can catch yourself with. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's cool. Sounds so good. So what about you, Scotty? I know you mentioned that you're not sure that there's a bit of unsure future around crits and whether they actually get up at, at some point mm. this year. But have you in this time off, have you thought about any of the training you've been doing and put putting yourself in that race situation about how that might look like? Yeah, it's yeah, I have. Like where I am in, in Melbourne, in Victoria, Australia. Uh, so we're re- restricted. We're only allowed to um, go five k's from our house. We can ride for two hours now rather than one. So that's good. You know, it's better than nothing, of course. But you know, you pretty much can't ride with groups. Um, you can. I think you're allowed to ride with one other person. So I haven't got the group bunch ride factor. I haven't got the racing. So I'm sort of doing a lot of my riding on my own with re- sort of restricted terrain. So what am I doing? I'm doing a couple of things. Like I said before, I'm doing some sort of general strength endurance, sort of that that sort of zone halfway between pure aerobic and pure pure speed and power. So that sort of stuff, which is a bit of a weakness for me. So, And then I'm also doing sprints out on the road, and I've discussed this before. But I can't really do much else. Like my, sort of there's not much, much more happening for me with my riding in some ways. So, yeah, I'm just thinking about those key moments in races or, or a fast ride, you know, because when, yeah, exactly what you're saying, like you get the sensation, oh, here we go, oh, God, you know. That feeling like you're maybe about to pop or blow or 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 it's just getting that little bit extra bit uncomfortable. And I'm thinking about those moments. So you feel it in your body. And then the very next moment is the potential for your mind or your your thoughts to come in and do something extra. So they can either take you in the direction you want or they can take you in the direction you don't want. So it might be eventually if if it hurts enough or then eventually I might be going, yeah, I just can't do this. You know, something like that. There might be a, 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 a instant thought of, you know, like a self-talk just a, and then boom, straight away you sort of, once you make that call and your decision, then, you know, you'll find a way to not do it and stop yeah. doing it right then. So it's a matter of somehow just delaying that and somehow de- derailing that thought if it comes in because it's going to come in at various times. It's Maybe you can ho- you know, cut it off in the past and create different thoughts or, you know. Have you got any like cues that you come back to, Scotty? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about them ahead of time because I'm trying to think of – so, yeah, it's like the one I probably don't use, which I, I think I think would help, would be re- – is really simple, was, you know, you know, you can do it. You can. Yes, go, go. 
probably go, go, that one, just go, go. Yeah. Yes, you can. Just that in my head, yes, yeah. you can, yes, you can. Because what I'm trying to get to is that these moments, and everyone listening to this who's had a ride on the bike has had these moments, whether you ride slow or fast, it doesn't matter. These moments are often only are moments. If you can just get through that five seconds, that 10 seconds, that 20 seconds, you get over that hump, you get over that rise, you drop back into a wheel, the pace you know, the people who are, who are um, driving the pace that changes or they need a rest, something usually changes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And how many times have you decided to let go of the group you're in and then you see them 20 metres up the road, the pace just, they drop and all of a sudden there's a 20 metre gap and if you had to stuck with it just that little bit longer, right. you'd be resting with them. So that's the way I'm viewing it in that I've, they're just moments and maybe in a crit race, so it's an hour long, there might be one of those moments or three of those moments, maybe four of those moments. And I've just got to get through those moments. And so that was another um, thing, like um, th- the thoughts I'm having before it, like, okay, well, if I'm going to win, a, and I'm, my best chance of winning is probably at some sort of sprint out of a reduced group or a field sprint. So I've just got to get to that sprint. So it's like when I'm feeling a pinch, one thing I w- would like to be able to remember is like, well, how else the fuck are you going to get to the sprint? So it's like, so I've got to contextualize the discomfort of that moment in the bigger picture. Do you know what I mean? Like if I want to get to that sprint, because this is a race and that's what racing's about, how else am I going to do this? At no so point will they hand it to you. That's right. And so I've got to take away the choice at that point, the choice to go either continue or not. So I haven't perfected it and I, I want to put it, I, I think I'll get, I'm sort of, I, don't, I reckon I'm sounding right now not definite enough and that's because I'm not actually getting a chance to put it into play, not even in bunch riding. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's not becoming clear at the moment, it's sort of just staying in my head. So, yeah. I, so, I love I the know. fact, yeah. Scotty, that um, as, as much as we love watching cycling, the beauty of it, the fact that we get to go out and do it ourselves and exercise and have some fun and have a chat, that if we want to have a crack at it, that mental game that we can play with ourselves is never too far away. It's and you can and the fun that you get playing around with that to see where mm. you can take it to is is such a good ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. And we discuss it. You know, there's the outer game of your pure output and performance and speed and where you're placed and in the race or where you finished in your group bunch ride or whatever. There's that outer thing and even how much all your data and all metrics and all that. But there's also the inner game and the inner game is essentially about getting out of your own way and allowing your potential to just be as it is and without interference from any crap that goes on in your head. So, And that inner game, the thing is that I feel strongly about this, that inner game has transferred to the rest of our life too, just to allow us to just do what we can do and everything that we can do and nothing less. So that inner game has relevance and meaning and and I think it has value, you know, because you can question the value of how important is it to be good at cycling in you know a freaking b grade or a local bunch ride how important really is that well at some levels it's important but then at some levels it's fucking irrelevant but i think there's real value and it contributes well to everyone around you by being really good at um, mastering your own self and your own mind i reckon that has a really good flow and effect for others and a good flow and effect for you in your life so there you go we've gone pretty Pretty no, deep, but I deep. believe you it. can take that mm. into that's, and that's why we, you, you know, you and I love talking about this sort of stuff, and and, mm. and I personally, I know I get a lot out of it because you know, and we talk it based around cycling, but the reason for that is you, there's so many correlations to to real life and um, where you can implement that in your day to day actions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, Absolutely. Oh, that's bloody excellent, mate. Well, hopefully, if things can. Um, 
start to improve uh, down your way, you can actually get an opportunity to uh, to put all that into practice. But until yeah. then, I'll do what I can for both of us. And um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, some um, and the other thing for me personally, and um, some people can really push themselves well in training. You know, in more isolated forms of riding. I'm certainly someone who can push myself much more in a race where it's um, I'm more sort of aroused. It's more there's more problem solving and decision making to make you know it's all alive i put out much more output you know in one in a, in a bunch ride than say riding on my own on a trainer just would whereas other people there are others who, who are the opposite you mentioned richie port last episode about how he came into this season strong and how he often comes into the first race of the year the tour down under strong so that, that that tells me that he he can really bring himself up well from his training whereas then when we all talked about other races like cavendish or sagan or maybe van avermaet who maybe need to bring themselves up from the racing point of view so that's the other part for me so anyway there you have it it's a good discussion. And we've had a good discussion today, mate. It's been great to chat to you again. And we look forward yeah. to hearing from any of our listeners out there too, Scotty. We want to stress yeah. that um, we'd love to hear from anyone, whether it be on the socials, on any of the posts that we put out, or if you can jump on to iTunes or, or anything like that, leave a review, give us a rating, and yeah, give us your thoughts on, on what you like and suggestions on what you'd like to hear. Yeah, suggestions, what you like. Also, um, some gentle sledging of us. We're happy to, happy to um, take that because yep. we'll we'll look at it, we'll learn from it, and then we'll discard it too and we'll never post it either. And perhaps but, if you can leave your name, we'll publicly um, <laughs> take you to task. No, but we, we want people to force us to lift our game. That would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't, you know, we, we want to do it with people. You know, there's a lot of fun to be had here. So let's do it together. I'm serious about that. We, we're Absolutely. both serious about that. Absolutely. Mm. Great to chat, mate. Thanks, Ross. Good on you, mate. Good work. Uh-